Blog Talk Radio. We love to take the most beautiful pieces of life and string them together. We like to look at it as generational wisdom with a modern twist. And let's see what's been happening here at Mama's Pearls. Well, I've been doing a ton more mom shops, which has really been fun and inspiring and interesting. And throughout this journey with Mama's Pearls, I just realized how much I've actually learned and grown. And each mom shop that I do with obviously moms, but um, as much as I hope that I am inspiring and supporting and guiding them, I'm growing tenfold. So it's a little bit of a selfish proposition, but I absolutely love doing it. If you're interested in hosting a mom shop with your friends or for yourself or um, or interested in just hearing a little bit more of what I do, check out my website, www.mamaspearls.com, and go over to the events page. So there's been a lot happening just in general as far as, I don't know if you've heard of this little thing called Fifty Shades of Grey Trilogy by E.L. James. It's kind of taken over taken over the world. And then on the flip side, there's been this Time magazine article, Are You Mom Enough? basically on attachment parenting. And I always love when things are very synchronistic like that. And this week's topic on Mama's Pearls is Mom Up. And we're going to talk about the mother energy because it's also in and around the heels of Mother's Day and how we can all tap into this mother energy, which is the pearl of the day is tap in. So when you have these two contrasting sides happening, I always like finding the balance between them. On one hand, we're talking about complete releasing and fantasy and exploitation and erotica. And on the other side, if if you've seen the Time Magazine article, on the cover, you have like this hot-looking young mom with her three-year-old son standing on a chair and breastfeeding, full on booby view. And that, though, that is not an erotica image, although some people kind of go that go to that place with breastfeeding. That is more of an attachment issue and the the eternal bond between mother and child and continuously through through nourishment. So on the blog this week, we're talking a little bit more about mother energy and our all the articles that we post can be found on the website, mamaspearls.com, and really about the mother energy. I found the book, Are You My Mother?, And if you remember it, it's a Dr. Seuss-type book, and it has, like, this little chick on it that's looking. It comes out of its eggs, and it's looking around for its mama, and it's asking its dog, are you my mom, and all this kind of thing. So it leads me to the question of what exactly is a mother? Aside from the obvious obvious go at it of, oh, it's the one who gives birth to me and and not sidestepping that beautiful, miraculous process because that in and of itself is amazing and I have a ton of 
ton of articles and a ton of um, shows on that issue of just the birthing process, one of one of which is creation space. But really, when you kind of dive deeper into being a mother and holding that space and that energy and that nutri- if you call it nutrition or anything that nourishes you or guides you or taps in and gives you a word of encouragement like usually it it's that kind of space we look at as the mother to be that that nurturing loving entity that accepts us completely unconditionally no matter how much we screw up that the mom is always going to be there. And sometimes it's not actually your biological mother. A lot of times it is the uh, other people in your life that step forward that really pull you out and show you who you are and teach you and educate you and show you the next step and helps you wipe away your tears and lends a shoulder for you to cry on. These are all aspects of the mother energy that's out there. Anytime you think you're birthing an idea or you have something you want to bring to fruition and you need to call upon other people or some aspect within yourself to help manifest that into reality, that's tapping into this mother energy, that's tapping into the space, that's tapping into this into the into the vessel like the earth which which holds holds the capacity for anything really to to happen and, and call forth anything to manifest and within that space there's there becomes that balance and that reliance and that dependence and that that connection and that bond and where do we kind of tip tip the scales because whoever you're calling into that space to help you do whatever it is you you want to do or birth an idea or start a business or or grow they're also doing their own journey so you're concentrating on this entity this thing or an aspect of yourself that needs growth but the other person's kind of doing the same thing. So you have these two growths kind of happening simultaneously, and really the the mother of all, all mother energies is when when two people grow and evolve, um, and you know attain a different level of perspective and enlightenment through the same shared experience. That is an amazing feat of it of in itself and mother mother energy in its two form. But in that symbiotic relationship and that dance and that flow that's happening. You know, there are those cords of attachment that are being drawn. Obviously, when you're talking about an infant, there's a much greater need for the mother to step in and truly do all the things that mothers need to do or that fathers need to do, which is helping to take care of the baby until it gets on its own two feet, until it can find its way. And you can look for any example in in the animal kingdom, you know, in, in, in the beginning when the when the babies are first charging out of the wombs. The mother is right there, and all the nourishment comes from the mother, and there's really usually no question that it's going to be through breastfeeding or one of the 20 nipples that that a pig has um, that the the little runt in the litter has to find its space to get its nourishment, and that's a direct lifeline from the mom. Obviously, unless, you know, human intervention steps in and starts caring for baby birds and 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 gives them their little bottles and whatever kind of milk or formula that that baby birds drink, but there's this this direct attachment, this re, this direct lifeline, this direct source of okay, that's where I'm getting my nourishment. That's where I'm 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 forging my way. That's where the beginnings of all of this take place for me. And at a certain point, the baby animal or the baby that's able to kind of go forth on its own and that's able to 
to do things more on its own and you're able to put a cup in front of it and it can drink for itself or you know or put food in front of it and it's able to eat for himself and then eventually they can go and and actually make their own food and and so this kind of process and this kind of guide it tends to you know the idea of how long do you continue that process of doing for versus versus creating more of an independence and this is what I really found interesting and kind of the heart of the the attachment parenting article and the attachment parenting is based on Dr. Sears and his book, The Baby Book, and he's a pediatrician and his practice and his I think eight children and through so his experience he really believes that keeping the closeness and connectivity with your child is is of utmost importance and far supersedes anything else. And there's really three tenets to attachment parenting. One is breastfeeding all the time, on demand, everywhere, anywhere, so on and so forth. The idea of co-sleeping, so really holding your baby close and sleeping with them or having a bassinet that's right by you. And the third is also baby wearing. So basically, literally having them on you in a baby sling, close, connected. No such thing as no such thing as strollers or any bit of separation. And I, I get it from a certain perspective of in the beginning and establishing the initial connection and building that trust and that safety zone. That and as when a baby's coming into this big, wide, scary world, that you know they're trying to sort out the meaning in their place and figuring out everything else and not being able to move much and kind of cocooned up in their swaddle blanket, I get that need for that closeness and that that security. Where it kind of goes into another realm of um, another layer of attachment, if you will, is also making sure that you cater to literally every every whim of your child and every single moment and every cry, basically not letting your baby cry it out. So the ferberizing method and Dr. Spock's methods, they're totally disregarded in this line of thinking and in the theory of attachment parenting that the parent should absolutely 100% not give the, the baby really any space and be there to to coddle and cater and hold, hold true. And for me, it's, you know, I feel like in the beginning, okay, I can get that, but at the same time, like for a mom, there, there's really no transition between being pregnant and that physical exhaustion that you go through giving birth and then stepping in and having to care for immediately for your baby with breastfeeding and everything else. And your body's doing its own healing, and granted, breastfeeding breastfeeding does help and aid in the healing process that happens after birth and it's more of a natural sensation um you know it expands and contracts your uterus back into shape and it has it has a physiological purpose as well as just you know as well as just the other wanting to just bond with your child um but for me it was at least with my first son um my first child colby it was like you know, I had so much going on and there was so much that I didn't anticipate <laughs> with going into my birth with Colby that I was so physically exhausted and it took a lot longer for me to get comfortable with the aspect of um of breastfeeding and for, for us to find our groove and connection through that that I introduced formula right away and because um, he was also jaundice, and through that process, like all the guilt and the I could be doing it better, but I'm not feelings of being a mom really started coming through, 
And I'm not like into placing guilt. I think I think we we as mom naturally feel that feel that as well. And the the feelings of of any sort of shortcomings when you're a mom just it just adds that so much pressure onto it. And in this article, they also talk about the idea of the examine babies that were born in the jungle where it's really just them and the mom and in the sling all the time. And just they were talking just about how more even-tempered and calm those baby wars as compared to modern as compared to modern children and modern babies who are a little bit more, let's say, temperamental and needy and not the calm little babies adjusted in the sling in the jungle. Um, and, you know, I, I think there's something to be said, though, about the modern world of parenting and trying to trying to figure it all out in a way to make it a win-win for all. And when you're getting towards the level of attachment that a mother can give with the overriding notion of moms are also in it to take care of themselves and they need their timeouts and they're trying to to process what's going on. Not that a separation needs to occur, but a separation needs to occur. And at some point, the baby, at least I feel like, you're basically teaching teaching them the steps of independence and to stand on their own. And even in in the workshops that I do, one of the things that that I really call forth is that how important it is for a mom to step out of the family dynamic every once in a a while, in a regular while, just to see what happens and have everybody else being comfortable and confident to step up into the space and, like, you know, just be able to get dinner on the table and go through your, your, your evening routine and for the father to be able to know that he has a firm place also within the family unit and is fully competent to handle what's going to go on with, with the children. And one of the strong reasons why, why, I, why I say this is that what happens when mom gets sick and you really can't go run and rely on mom to, to do everything, even though most moms will push themselves through, even, even if they're running 102 fever, and they won't take themselves to the doctor and they'll still do everything and drive their kids and they'll wind up getting sicker and sicker and sicker. So, you know, but what happens really at that state where everybody does need to stand on their own two feet and needs to needs to have that um, sort of independence, like you can't just expect them to just figure it out right then and there, um, there's going to be a little, <laughs> little bit of a um, harsh transition and it's a harsh reality check when when that happens. And so, you know, and I just feel that it's so important every step of the way, obviously the first, you know, excluding newborns, but there's a whole different level of being newborns, but of instilling this independence so so children do take on more responsibility and they do feel competent and they don't feel the need to to constantly just latch on to latch on to mom for everything. I think there is a strong a strong ideal of um individuation that needs to occur within a family unit that um attachment parenting you know i I don't fully fully grasp all the t- you know all of it, but like it just seems to kind of discard it and for me, it gets to the point of um of you know at least some point when you're talking again not in the beginning, but when you're talking down the road and the baby's and your child's now two years old, three years old, four years old, five-year-old, and still basically this this notion that you're supposed to be there basically 24-7 for the, for the child in a very physical way and still still breastfeeding. Like there comes like this, this point where is the question 
really no longer about like is breast milk the best source of nutrients and of a meal for a baby and what's becoming more of fulfilling a mother's need to continue that connection versus like the real welfare and the benefits for a child. So I think that's really more where the questions where I keep that keeps coming up in my mind when I'm reading this article about like what what's now happening that's more selfish for me versus what's really best best for my child. And forget about societal pressure and thinking it's weird. Like you know, I don't I don't really care about that so much. I think you know whatever works for you works for you. But for me, like that's kind of the question is is if I, am I doing this as an indulgent for myself versus like what would be best for for my son? He's obviously now six and hasn't breastfed in a long time, but um, but I'm sure my daughter actually, on the other hand, she she would continue it if I if I if I would have you know she was much more easy with, when it came to breastfeeding and she was much more into it, and even now she'll joke with me and come up and be like I'm thirsty and I want some milk and she'll like go for my boob and you know she'll act it out like a baby and while it's funny and and hilarious it's like okay there, there's no milk there here's here's another source here's another source of nutrients here's some food here's some broccoli here's some this and um you know on one part i always felt that that breastfeeding was so important to do and it kind of came from a paranoid state that I always had of um, just stemming from my grandparents, where my grandparents, as you, as you all know who've listened on the show before, my grandparents were Holocaust survivors and survived the war. And I always kind of feared, and that's why I was like very anti <laughs> even like entertaining the thought of getting pregnant during 2012 um, with the end of the world coming and all that kind of nonsense. But, but of literally feeling like, okay, what if I didn't breastfeed and a war came and I had to go out and survive and still still care for my child? Like for any mom, like the worst possible thing is seeing your child in any sort of suffering and or in any sort of need that you couldn't couldn't help them fulfill or or any any sort of suffering as far as being hungry. You know, especially as a Jewish mom, like you just need to make sure that your kids are fed all the time. Um, so it's. For me, like that, that was important to have, and I always worried that I wasn't producing enough milk and I wasn't doing enough for them. And you know, especially with Colby, where I was supplementing right away, and so that was a harder thing for me to grasp. And I always had that fear in the back of my mind that if we had to take off my, I would just have to my, trust my body to be able to produce for them. So, on one hand, from that like extremist paranoid view, like yeah, it'd be cool if I could still generate some milk just in case that you know complete war broke out and I had to breastfeed my child. But in reality, I feel that um I feel that it, there there's absolutely no question in my mind that I want my children to feel totally connected with me, engaged, building that tr- having that trust factor, knowing they can come to me for for pretty much anything, but also having a boundary in place of excusing myself and taking some mo- some mommy time. So on my one recent mommy timeout was given as courtesy at, from Alyssa Stern at Divalicious Moms, which is www.divamoms.com. And we've had Alyssa on the show before on our Mama Mamalicious show, and you should read that blog as well as listen to that playback of that show because what Alyssa has done with Diva Moms has been amazing as far as really creating this 
this counterculture that just serves the luxury market of moms and giving moms what they want, when they want, as far as products, as far as services, as far as bringing amazing sensations <laughs> to the U.S. and it, right into the Diva Moms book club like E.L. James and the Fifty Shades Trilogy. And when I went to, she invited me to see E.L. James and go to a beautiful luncheon at Carlisle on the, on the Green, which ironically, and just a little placeholder, that was where I, I, I got married. So um, so I have not read the Fifty Shades trilogy. I'm sure many of you have because I, like you, probably heard about it from every all my friends talking about it and saying, you have to read this book. Oh, my God, you won't believe it. You have to read this book. And they would get all excited and talking to me, and then they would start going a little bit more into what it was and kind of like would get a little mousy about it, like, oh, my God, it's about this bondage and sadomasochistic relationship, and it's all like this vivid sex. And they would kind of like retreat back and like, you know, it's really good. It'll spice up your sex life, but um, the book was really written poorly. And they would kind of like backtrack, backtrack themselves out of recommending it. Like, so you can see like this S&M guilt like kind of happening just in being a voyeur of re- reading it, regardless of whether they actually practice what the book preached in their bedrooms with their husbands or whoever. And um, so I, I kind of just been finding it funny to watch that phenomena grow around it and just watch um people and people especially women's kind of have that um that tossing up of whether or not they should be talking about it and whether it really was too risque of a book for them to read but like it was like their naughty little guilty pleasure so when i got the invitation to go to the event like i absolutely 100% wanted to go so i went and there was like 400 women lined up waiting to waiting hours to like get in and E.L. James came out and she did her she did her thing and and Liz did a great job also of like building like the foreplay and the suspense leading up to E.L. James coming out. She did a wonderful speech, really kind of just teasing teasing all the moms. And she had Kristen James, who is a um, who is a fitness expert who developed a. <laughs> A fitness regimen called Fifty Shapes, which is based on the the sex positions that are in the trilogy. Okay, I mean, I, I, that sounds pretty good. So check that out. And then Dr. Logan, who's a sexologist, come in and basically remind us all that we're all sexual goddesses, and we have our own version of that with Dr. Zahava Israeli, who's been on been on the Mama Show Pearls. Um, Mama's Pearl show before as a guest and our go-to go-to sexual therapist. So, you know, when E.L. James came out, you know, it, it was just amazing to see all that, that attention on her and people really like hot and hot for her. And she didn't she didn't say much. She's not really an interviewer, but she said enough to kind of whet everybody's appetite a little bit further about this how she birthed the Fifty Shades trilogy was literally just her asking and being curious about what would a sadomasochistic lifestyle be like. And she just started exploring on the Internet through YouPorn and found out very quickly what was <laughs> involved. And that just kind of launched her into into this world and creating the characters of Christian and Anastasia and went on went on from there to be this real huge phenomenon. And the books were big in Europe and they were printed in the US and Lister and got a whiff of it and invited her over last May, um, through Diva Moms book clubs and it's 
since really taken off from them. And really seeing the other side of, you know, really the antithesis of attachment and the and talking and think, even thinking about the submissive submissiveness and dominance of a relationship and seeing the place where I got married showing in handcuffs and lace panties and <laughs> feather boas and with vibrators for sale. And, I mean, I was just cracking up the whole time. I'm like, how ironic is this 10 years later? Like, is this putting me into, like, the hard-up housewife club where 10 years into my marriage, you know, I, I need that little space. So, um, so that irony was not lost. And as I'm kind of sitting there and, and watching most of the, the women there were mothers, and they were just out for the day with their with their girlfriends, going to enjoy this this little kind of counterculture counterculture phenomenon that's happened, and really seeing the need to to have that release, to have that freedom, to have that expression, to feel that empowerment, which is really maybe about the need to feel dominating versus feeling. Um, you know, constantly attached and submissive kind of into the parent relationship with your child of having to always be there just for your child and serving your child needs, <laughs> of really now being able to call the shots and take the stands and, you know, like that relationship and that dynamic, it's constantly being played out within the family, minus the handcuffs, although maybe not the worst idea sometimes with the kids, bust out the handcuffs, and maybe we'll get the point not to do something or not touch something, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> or whip them into shape or gag them with the little gag ball, <laughs> um, but What's kind of been interesting for me also is exploring like that that notion of not only the dominance theme and the submissiveness and that that counterbalance that happens within a family unit and that's constantly being worked on that's constantly being tested from all angles. You're kind of testing how how far you need to go to lay down the law before your kids listen and your kids and your kids are like testing the boundaries of how how far they can go and in, in not listening um, and not listening to you or you know building building up a rapport and having your safe words of knowing when you've gone too far with your kids. Um, but it, it, for me, it, it, it's like, it, it's, it was all of that in that having that happen within this, you know, in the next week, the Time Magazine come out with the attachment parenting and really kind of seeing like that balance, that interplay, the need for both, the need for there to be that complete, you know, attachment and and source of creativity and the source of um, inspiration within the family and that source of guidance versus also having that need to, to kind of break free from that all and and still be your own free spirit and still have that still have that feeling that that you have the reins and that you're not constantly submissive to everything else <laughs> that's going on. So that duality has been really just interesting and fascinating for me to kind of tap into and and seeing seeing how it plays plays out within a family unit and one of the things that i just i just really kind of keep getting getting off on is or not getting off on it it's the the idea of of sexuality even within the family, you know, obviously between the the mother and the and the father or the parent parental units or the same sex couples or whatever, whoever you are as the parents, is like that's such a base primal thing. I mean, that's how it all started in the first place, right? Like that's how your kids came kids came through in the first place is is through that sexual act and somehow 
the sexuality gets lost. And the kids, as they grow, they grow older, you know, especially in the beginning where it's such a physical bond and it's literally on your boobs, which on one hand to your husband is, is a sexual, sexual object, but on the other hand to your child is, is really a lifeline of support and non-sexual in any way. It's purely functional. Having those two, those two aspects of you always in, in connection um, is is kind of interesting as far as turning that switch on and off in a mom and having that role and being able to put down that veil when it comes to your child and see it as a purely as a purely n- nutritional lifeline and then sort of having to step in at a totally different level with that with your spouse and seeing it as something completely different and so that dynamic and that Push, push, pull. You know, in that kind of contrast and paradox of just, just in a woman's boobs, for me, is so, just so, so interesting and something for, to always keep in track. I don't see breastfeeding as a sexual thing at all. I think that's really, um, you know, not to please. Like, I just don't see it as a judgmental thing as it is, but, like, you know, really keeping the veil. But even as your child grows up and starts understanding a little a little bit more about sexuality and their own sexuality, like, there, there is that dividing line that... Um, that you know parents need to kind of hold and then keep your keep your children in check. So this whole past 2 weeks has been really really interesting. We are going to continue this conversation and I'm hoping to have um to have one of the members of La Leche, everybody who's ever breastfed knows of the La Leche lead on the show sometime next week to continue this conversation about the importance and the pros and cons really of of breastfeeding and keeping that that attachment. If you have not read um, the attachment parenting article in the Time magazine, I think it's ver- a very fascinating read and will definitely get you thinking and questioning your own role and source as a mother and how you can tap into your mother energy to bring forth not just a child but in- but everything else as far as understanding your boundaries as well. So I really just Thank you all for listening today, and we will continue this conversation on Facebook. You can always find us at Mama's Pearls on Facebook and on Twitter at Cintweet, C-Y-N-T-W-E-E-T. And please continue reaching out with us. You can sign up for our newsletter by sending me an email at Cynthia at MamasPearls.com. And we will continue the conversation on our website as well at www.MamasPearls.com. Have a beautiful week.